Hello and welcome to Talking Capital. I'm Ian Barnard, CEO of Capital Generation Partners, and I'm here with our Chief Investment Officer, Robert Sears, to answer three questions posed by our clients in recent weeks. For those who don't know us already, CapGen is a private investment office for families with capital. We are go-anywhere investors, so in the course of these episodes, you can expect us to cover any question across any asset class in any region of the world, from bricks and mortar to portfolio derivatives. In summary, this is a podcast where we answer the questions playing on the minds of sophisticated long-term investors. Do subscribe if that sounds up your street, and you'll enjoy two episodes a month of Talking Capital. So, Robert, we've covered a lot of ground recently in these podcasts talking about markets and broader economic trends. So what we thought we'd do in today's discussion is, is focus in on, what okay, what actually are you guys doing? So what's CapGen doing? What are we doing with the capital with which we've been entrusted? We've touched on this a lot in our discussions. It sort of gets woven into conversations because, you know, although we talk about markets and broader economic trends, we do also try to talk about, well, what do we actually think is going on, you know, distinguishing signal from uh, noise. But what I'd like to do today, I think, is to work through rather more systematically what we're doing in portfolios and in a way approach the problem from reverse direction. Typically, we we start with markets and broader trends and then look from there into, well, what is it we're doing? And this time, I'd like to do it a little bit differently, look at what we're doing and then perhaps look out from there to what that means for what we think about markets. Uh, so let's dive into equity markets, which is, I think, everyone's, most people's sort of go-to thing to look at. How do we feel? How are things doing? Uh, do we feel we're making money? How do we feel the world is feeling about itself? So I wonder if you could start with our broad positioning now. So in this rally-ish, whether new bull market or bear market rally for discussion, but just in practice, how risk-on or risk-off are we right now in broad terms? Firstly, I don't want to take on a bit the risk-on, risk-off. Now, I think that's become the narrative of the markets for most people uh, in investing really since the GFC, which is now sort of 15 years ago. So that's, and has been often the, the financial narrative, are we risk on, are we risk off? And it's a little bit of a pet peeve of mine in that terminology, because it's trying to simplify something which is complex down into sort of one variable. So either you're thinking of it like capital markets, this is the beta, the market return, um, or you're thinking of it sort of as liquidity, because really, arguably, it's it's the market becoming more macro than micro. And that's certainly been the case the last 10 years, really, the macro liquidity quantitative easing, monetary policies being quite a key determinant on people taking risk or, or or not. Now, why is it important to break that down a bit is that simplification is usually too simplified anyway, but particularly now, this market is breaking down a bit in that case. So it isn't uh, uh, enough at the moment, particularly to be risk on, risk off. You have to be a bit more nuanced. And that's really where, when we're bringing us back to what we've been talking about the last year or so, at least, is this is less a beta market that trying to take that risk and more there are opportunities, but they're more relative value opportunities at the moment. So I think that that is important. So what are we looking for? And what we'll, when we're turning to, to portfolio positioning is really there's a lot going on beneath the surface, even if this sort of is the market rallying or not sort of becomes the narrative of the day. And I suppose why is that? I think the first thing is when we, we're thinking about what rallies risk on risk off it's the idea that there are one group of assets that go up and one group that goes down now that's often the case when you get into crisis periods so uh, we hear this correlations going to one but it's not always the case so some assets go up some go down and the assets which go up and down change 
And that's been, we've seen that sort of change in the last few years. The previous 20 years or 30 years or so, it was all about equities went up, bonds went down, and that was your good hedge. Or the other way around, when equities went down, bonds went up. And what we saw really in 2022, what was just really crucial is that correlation changed because correlations do change. That's the important thing is that they, they don't, they're not fixed and neither are betas fixed. So some assets are, are risk on, become risk off. And we've seen that really in the last two years. The risk-free, the, the safe asset bonds became really risky because yields were so low. And that's why it was really crucial 2022 to be underweight bonds. So that correlation changed because inflation became important. And we're even seeing that into this year, even though it's flipped back the other way. So uh, we've seen the tech stocks rally. Markets have become very narrow in the sense of a few stocks have driven all the gains of the S&P this year. So it's not enough to say buy some stocks and you've made money this year. Most stocks in the S&P are either flat, slightly up or, or down for the year. It's been basically five to seven stocks have got deliver most of the gains of the index. So the narrowness of the market, again, is a bit of a warning signal when we're thinking about portfolios and risk, but it really is crucial to to say that idea that either the risk on or the risk off asset can change at different points. So last year, risk off asset was not bonds. Maybe it becomes bonds this year, uh, but in the same way last year, to make more money, you didn't want tech stocks, you wanted energy. Now we're seeing the other way around. And even in the last month, again, the idea Arguably, the markets are signaling a bit of this nervousness and defensiveness that, that we, we should be seeing. Um, Chinese stocks were down about 8% um, in May. Uh, most stocks in the S&P were down. Interestingly, even the defensives, the consumer staples sold off quite a lot, 4% or more, as well as the cyclicals. So a lot of different, both the risk on or and the risk off sectors were down. It was only the NASDAQ and those uh, few high-flying high tech names that pulled up the S&P and they were up to 20% or in NVIDIA's case, 30, 40% or whatever the, the number was in the month. So the first message we have for portfolios is when we're not trying to position risk on, risk off. We are trying to think through and position for these different scenarios. So that's pretty crucial. It's a market to be a stock picker uh, as well. Uh, I think it's the second point. But I think that narrowness that we've seen as well, the third point really is Yes, recession is looks like it's coming. We don't know the timing, and I think that's part of the argument. But it is a time to be more defensive overall. But it's finding ways to protect your portfolio while still finding some of these relative value ways to, to be making money. So it's becoming a bit more complex market. And it's certainly not, I think, the, the on-off, even though overall, I think, be defensively minded, because actually a lot of stocks are facing headwinds at the moment. And we are going to that period of macro headwind, even though growth has been a bit better so far. So, so I think it's, it's a more difficult market, more nuanced market, but it's an important market to be, to be um, thinking about how to be defensive. But I think, I mean, in a way, uh, Robert, that was a sort of masterful today programme ply because what you're saying is, is it was the wrong question and, you know, risk on versus risk off was the wrong framing. But I think you, you did say at the end there, didn't you? And it's fair to say we're defensive. I mean, with the caveats that, uh, that you mentioned. Well, y- yes, I suppose. Overall, do we expect the, the base case is recession and more, more downside? Yes, I think narrow markets are more markets to be worried about. That's not a market. You want broad markets. If you're thinking, is this the start of a broad bull market? You want to see a lot of a lot of stocks doing well and a lot of lot of growth. So yes, overall, we are defensively positioned. Having said that, we're finding ways to be not risk on, risk off, put your money in cash and protect. 
because there you run the risk of if markets do rally for further, that you can really suffer um, on the downside. So in a way, it's how to be defensive, but protect against that smaller case of we do end into a late cycle tech boom that takes stocks with them a lot higher. So although at the moment we're still in that range trading area and we're not, we haven't seen a big conclusive move one way or the other, if we do enter into a tech boom, we've still got quite a lot of equities within our portfolios. So if the market broadens and more stocks do well, uh, we have exposure to value stocks, to emerging markets. Um, so if there is growth um, and, and private equity within illiquid portfolios, they will do well if, if markets do turn into a new bull market. So although we defensively position and have hedges to protect against the most likely case, it's not a question of just moving to completely defensive posture. So you're saying, I think, Robert, that risk on risk off is a poor framework because what we really talk about when we talk about risk on risk, we're talking about beta risk. So that, that when people use it as shorthand, they're really talking about beta risk. And you're saying this is not a time to particularly be wanting to take beta risk. So the risk on risk off not helpful because it simplifies it down to beta risk. But but you're saying that doesn't mean you can't take other risks because you know there's there's no as we know you can you can take risk and not get return, but you definitely don't get return unless you take some risk somewhere. But your point is let's not be taking beta risk. So I guess perhaps or, or sort of broad global beta risk, however one wants to think about it. So can you just talk a little bit about in the equity space, places where, you know, we think there are risks worth taking? Yeah. So I think the first one I'll highlight is something which we talked about towards the end of last year. We talked about it a bit over the years, but particularly the end of last year, we added a new activist manager in the space. So in Japan. So I think within the equity markets, I think looking outside the US, there is cheapness and there is growth in earnings, and that's coming in Japan. And Japan is a country which is also benefiting from its own corporate governance improvements, and at the same time is a beneficiary, really, of the higher inflation um, that we're seeing. So is this the moment for Japan? We talked about it in the last few podcasts as well. I think the good news for us and for the positioning is you start with a cheap currency, cheap stocks with growing earnings, room for corporate governance improvement, and now we're seeing momentum and capital flow. So uh, investors are finally catching on to Japan. So last month, as I said, tech stocks were up. One of the other markets which was up decisively and is finally trending towards its record high of, of towards the end of the uh, end of the 80s really is Japan. So um, I think we, we certainly within equity markets, I think Japan is a place that, that we're particularly interested in. What do we do about the really thorny question? So Japan, definitely we've talked about that. What, what, what does one do, though, about, about these, these tech stocks? I mean, what is, what is the answer? Do we just say, fine, guys, it's a head fake, it'll pass, don't, you know, don't get involved? Or do we have to confront it? And if so, how do we do it? What does one do? So one can feel defensive, be wary of beta, and yet, and yet, you know, you have these stocks that are performing very strongly. What do we do? I think in general investing is, I suppose, the phrase, the best can be the enemy of the good. Also, it's about controlling your emotions. And for most investors, actually, investing can be be quite simple, but it's not easy. And why is it not easy? Because you've got to control your emotions. And, and moments like this, that's almost the, the way the market functions is, the market rally is doing the most damage, the most emotional strain to the most number of people. And that's really, the market's going to keep rallying in those names until people capitulate. 
So I suppose, how do you protect yourself is either you can take the path of, you could sort of be a Decius and either ignore it completely or you sort of strap yourself to the mast and make sure you're going to keep going and um, not not fall prey to those the songs of the sirens and and get called back into the market at just the wrong time. So that's one path. Uh, so be content within yourself about the returns you're getting, which now you can get even in cash, you're getting a return. So it's not that there is no return, but it can be painful. Or as we talked about before, it's finding ways that you can get the exposure in a risk controlled way. So either through position sizing, through use of derivatives, options, call options, or also the way you diversify and provide the exposure. I think it is possible. So even within those tech names, I, I would argue, yes, when you see NVIDIA trading at uh, price to sales multiples of 60, 70, or, or wherever it, it was getting to, there's so much good news baked in. It looks so much like Cisco of the 2000s. It can succeed and you can end up with very poor returns in the end, as we talked about. Good investment, good business. That's a bit of the problem. So NVIDIA could succeed and probably will in a number of ways, but there's so much good news. If any of the bad news turns out to be, if any of the other large tech names find out actually they don't want NVIDIA to have this monopoly and they want to develop more technology within chips, that's one possibility. If we if we see any type of turn back in, in the growth in AI, again, NVIDIA could collapse. So that's highly dangerous. But when you look at the other names, Google, Microsoft, yes, they're expensive, but they're not eye-wateringly expensive or eye-bleedingly expensive. They're pretty, you know, high 30s or 30p. It's not terrible. Certainly, it could be too expensive, but they are profitable businesses. Yes, they could be at risk if, if AI actually, we don't know that profits are still going to be contained within a few winners. Actually, we may see more competition and they could lose out. But it, they're not terrible businesses. So there is a way you can be exposed either not buying the video, but you can buy some of the other names and do it in a in a contained size. You can look at a small allocation to venture capital, perhaps. So I think there are ways people can get exposure while protecting themselves and the rest of the portfolio. So I think that's that's probably an easier path to take. And just remember, I suppose, when the market turns in one direction, it could be painful. When it turns the other way, it's difficult to run for the exit. So you have to be prepared to run quickly if you are going to, to get exposure. So I think those are the sort of biggest warning points. But I think within the trend, we should say these hype cycles or or, or new trends, you don't necessarily need to miss. The trend is, is real. But you don't necessarily need to invest now to get the trend. The trend is likely to last for a number of years. So perhaps investors on that first path, you can still get exposure to those names, but you can wait a bit until prices um, sort of settle down and correct. So I think that th those are some of the avenues investors can take. But I would say also there's money to be made in other parts of the market that you can make good returns. We talked on about equities, but we could, even in bonds and credit now, um, some of the private debt strategies are yielding 10, 12, 13%. Well, let's maybe move on to that because you talked about positioning, Robert, and I suppose the big picture message from that discussion is, is you know, be wary of beta risk. Risk is fine. Just choose your risk carefully. Just be wary of, of a beta risk. So let's come and talk about credit. We've talked about distressed. Do you want to talk about what we're actually doing in practice there? Yes, I think broadly we talked about distress before saying there's this opportunity coming. It may be distressed owners first before we get to the distressed prices of the distressed asset. Now, we have identified, we've done our search and identified a distressed debt manager that we really like and we're going to allocate client client assets towards. But I think we, we should just make it clear of, of two things. Is One is we're not seeing distress within credit yet on a broad basis. 
there is in pockets of distress, but we haven't seen spreads really widen. So high yield spreads, as an example, are actually pretty contained. And that's another example of they're not pricing recession. So in a recession, we would expect spreads and, and more opportunity on those sort of broad distressed assets. But the, when you're allocating in private markets, clearly the investment period is over a number of years. So you, this is probably a very good time, a good vintage year for, for a distressed debt fund. Where are we seeing d- distress beyond some of those owners? And we really need rates to go up a bit further to see more distress from owners. Uh, one of the pockets of the market where there's the most distress is real estate. And clearly, real estate's having the difficulty of responding to higher financing costs. At the same time, pockets of real estate, like offices, are really getting hit by some of those structural forces post-COVID of sort of work from home and some of the other structural trends we've seen. So actually, rental demand is reducing. So demand for for renting some of those assets are going down. At the same time, your financing costs are going up. And we're seeing some of the problems of construction costs as well. So the industry is getting hit from multiple different sides. So within real estate, there is already distress, certainly on the liquid side, even if the liquid side, there is still this disjoint between assets which haven't been marked down, but which have. And we're seeing a lot of private real estate managers having to default on some of their assets within some of those pockets of distress. So we're already seeing the, the distress happening. And there is this opportunity Specifically within distressed debt, I think distressed real estate debt looks very fertile for the next year or so. So again, if you pick with the right manager who can move between the different sectors, the one that's got the most juice at the moment, I would say, is real estate out of those. Having said that, if we do enter into a recession, the distress will flow through into the corporate assets and into the other real assets as well. But real estate first, and your distinction there, Robert, is in between um, you know, distressed owners and distressed assets. And at the moment, it's not, not exclusively, but definitely owners relying on liquidity who are finding things very difficult. And it's one of our, not quite articles of faith, but one of our uh, great beliefs that if you are investing in something that that is is illiquid or can risk um, being illiquid that you should do so with a long time horizon so so when we think about these credit strategies and part of the opportunity is just being able to write long dated new loans to 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 some of these owners so staying with that um private market theme i know some of your team were in the us uh, in the last couple of weeks visiting managers there that we use. And I think what would be really helpful to start off uh, is just to talk about what your conclusion, having listened to them, is about what you think the opportunity set is in private equity at the moment. I think to sort of link back in a way to, you know, what we were talking about in the public markets, you know, is if we're not believers in beta writ large in in public markets, how do we feel about private markets? I say the the answer from private equity, which I'll give in a, a minute, is pretty bullish because markets are recovering. So actually, the fears that were there last year, the private equity managers are starting to feel a bit better about the future. In a way, I kind of disagree in in some of the aspects, and that links to the, back to the third first question: is what would lead to a very good vintage year for private equity? Actually. It was if we did enter into recession, had a bit more difficulty, and then you really would see good bargains and a good vintage year. Arguably, the fact some of those private equity managers now are feeling a bit more bullish, actually, we might be able to do some deals later in the year, then maybe financing costs won't be so high and economic growth is coming back is, is good news because it feels good news for the short term. 
But actually, it means the bargains, the vintage year, may not be as good as it, it might have appeared otherwise. Having said that, as we talked about on the first part, actually, there is still quite a bit of differentiation between the parts of the market which are near back at record highs, some of those tech names, and some of the other names are trading off quite a way. So there, there is opportunity for private equity uh, managers to pick up companies which are trading at a discount still in this environment. And if there is more activity, because the difference between what the buyers and sellers are willing to transact at maybe is starting to close again, we might see some more deal activity later in the year. So it may not be such a bad vintage year overall. But I think that, that crucial part, going back to the first question is, do we see recession or not? And what happened last year was really private equity didn't have the markdowns. If you're in good quality private equity names, actually last year, maybe a flattish year, but it wasn't terrible because earnings didn't decline. And in private equity, you don't have to see the big change in valuations that arguably we've seen in public markets. The valuations go down and then come back up a little bit. And if we do enter into more of a growth period and we avoid recession, if that really miraculous event happens, then you'll never see the pain in private markets. So the the crucial part is, are we going to see this, this recessionary period or not? To my answer on the first question, so I think that's the difficult part, is when the recession happens and how steep will we'll determine whether these are really good years or not. But it is a time where you want the alpha rather than the beta, you want the active rather than the passive. And that's what you get in spades in private markets. So the difference between the winners and losers is so large. If you can be with those high quality names, specifically having a process where you could find managers that are delivering from active improvement at the underlying company names, not relying on leverage, not relying on multiple expansion. That's where the returns will be in the next few years. So I think it's going to be harder, even in this environment, unless we see markets really retrace a long way, it will still be harder overall for private markets. But the winners who can deliver in a, in a world of higher financing costs, deliver active improvement in companies, take advantage of some of these trends in AI and digitalization and bring those to more traditional companies and, and improve their productivity, Actually, in a world where there's productivity gains and change, that's a world where active management can really take advantage and do well. So it's a, it's a little nuance, but I think the winners will, will do pretty well. And arguably, if we do enter into a more difficult period for, for markets, we could get some very good vintage years. So um, I suppose that's, that's the positive side. Even if short term, if we, we have a, a more um, a sort of narrowly avoided recession, then the, the vintage years might not be as exceptional as they, they could have been, but it still will be a good environment for active quality managers to do well. And you're, you're relaxed... Robert, are you, if that's the, the right adjective, about how the... I mean, you, you make the point that, that the, you know, you don't want to be with stock pickers who are just relying on their ability to lever up their investments, which, you know, a penetrating critic would say is, you know, a large explanatory factor in the very long, drawn-out outperformance by private equity, which is just the application of leverage to a bull market in, in equities. And you're saying, you know, looking forward, that's not where you you want to be. But nevertheless, these typically are uh, stock pickers who are lo- using leverage, albeit that it's leverage, uh, you know, secured at the individual portfolio company level rather than levering a whole portfolio, which, which has protective benefits, as we know, one of the great um, advantages of being a private equity stock picker. But you're relaxed about the change in the fundamental terms of trade in debt markets. So the cost of borrowing has gone up. And as is so often the case when that happens, 
leverage just becomes scarcer and harder to get hold of. There are more covenants. There's just less of it about you. You think that the asset class writ large is going to ride that that change in the terms of trade? I think the short answer is no. Uh, I think there it's a big headwind. So for the for the beta of private equity, for the buying the market, and if you don't have access to the good managers it's a big headwind and a big problem. Whereas before, even the poorer quality managers in the last 10 years, if markets are going up, you can do well in a market with leverage and beta. Now the losers could actually do pretty badly. So the reward for good stock picking between private equity managers is going to be higher now. So I think for the industry as a whole, big headwind, big issue, big problem. That's why private debt actually looks pretty appealing at the moment because lending to the private equity managers, the banks are pulling back if you go out and lend now, you can get those interest rates of five, six hundred over um, the overnight interest rate, which now gets you sort of 10, 12, 13, 14 percent. So it's quite a big hurdle to make money. But in all markets, even in the 70s, in difficult markets, high inflationary markets, some companies still do well. So there will always be the opportunity to make money. It's just going to be a smaller and smaller pocket of managers that, that do well in that in that period. And why? You want to find managers where they've got operation improvement teams, where they are genuinely increasing the top line, increasing profit margins. That's the way, the only way you can really sustainably deliver returns. Because I think that's why we, although we've had this complacent over the, the edge phase, we've, we've talked about the market feels sort of good in, in a number of ways. It's pretty hard to see this scenario of a soft recession with inflation coming back down. That combination is pretty hard to take. We could have a soft recession, unemployment not going up, but actually inflation is sticky and we get the problem where higher inflation ultimately is going to lead to lower multiples and higher financing costs. That's a pretty big headwind. Or we actually do enter into a recession, employment goes up quite a long way and we enter into some of those problems of recession. So I think the the, the complacency maybe from question one, we can't have that sort of narrow or it's very difficult to see the narrow success of avoid recession have no inflation and everything does well again with low interest rates it's really hard to see that scenario having said that the one thing that could help is ai and that's a big trend but that's very a big creative destruction force so even if we just take ai we might avoid as much inflation as we might have done otherwise but it's going to be a big winners and losers between business models. And that's a great opportunity if you are um, an active manager in private markets. So I think there will be opportunities within private markets, even if to your point, original point, Ian, is I think for investors, if you haven't done a lot of private markets before, it's a better time now than it was maybe a year or two ago. But still, you only do it if you can guarantee or, or, or go with a manager that's going to help you find and get access to those best managers. It's still a market where arguably public markets and uh, would be a better way to go if, if you can't have access to those skills and, and long-term relationships to get you access to the best managers. So if I was to draw one big theme or observation from the, the discussion we've had, Robert, is beware beta. This is not to say with certainty that, you know, beta is going to be your enemy in the year or two years or three years ahead. But there's a risk that it might be if, you know, inflation runs away and interest rates go up higher or whatever, or, or by contrast, you know, some deflationary bust, you know, be wary of beta. So that's been your friend for really quite a long time, but might not be anymore. Not certain that it won't be, but it might not be. But that doesn't mean you have to avoid risk. It's just be careful of the risks that you take. And I think your message is, is uh, well, think carefully, be active, be discriminating, and 
And I suppose also a little bit, Robert, perhaps be a bit courageous. Is that uh, going too far? I think I think the courageous I would go too far. I'd say more the other way is control your emotions. If the market feels like it's running away from you, don't worry too much. Look at the return you're getting. Is it enough that, uh, for what you want long term? If it is, feel happy. Don't worry about about other people. This is a moment of big change. So it is a time to be, be active as we talked about, but don't panic and don't make really rash wrong decisions because a wrong decision in this type of market that's changing could really damage um, where you are. I think it, to the point maybe courageous is don't be afraid to be a bit different, either sacrifice a bit of return now or having a portfolio that looks a bit different to what's worked in the last 20 years. I think that's that's maybe the courage you need, the courage to keep with your own convictions and stay stay calm, I think would be the, the moment to take. But to the point about beta might not be your friend, not for now. And that's the point about being a bit defensive and looking for these relative values. But either way, there will be big opportunities, either from long-term trends of AI or aftermarkets reprice and resettle, there'll be much cheaper markets to buy beta. So I think it's not beta forever. Uh, it's just be a bit more careful and cautious for now. Robert, thank you very much. Um, time's up. Um, thank you for joining us. Goodbye. You can subscribe to Talking Capital on all major platforms. Capital Generation Partners, LLP, is authorised and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority and is registered as an investment advisor by the US Securities and Exchange Commission. This podcast and opinions expressed do not constitute investment advice and do not constitute an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to purchase any security or any other investment or product. Nothing said during this podcast should be construed as an invitation or inducement to engage in investment activity. All information and opinions expressed herein are current as of publication and are subject to change without notice. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute research or recommendation from Capital Generation Partners to the listener. Capital Generation Partners makes no representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or of any of the information contained in this podcast. And any liability, therefore, including in respect to direct or indirect loss, is expressly disclaimed. Please note that the value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up, so you may get back less than you invest. This podcast may not be copied, reproduced, further distributed to any other person or published in whole or in part for any purpose. Further information, including our privacy statement, can be found on our website at www.capitalgenerationpartners.com.